what motivates me the most is when somebody like that, they come up to me and tell me like, hey, man, um, I just want to let you know, like, you're playing your videos inspire me. That motivates me to go further because really that's what I want to do at the end of all of this. You know, when I first picked up the horn and I started listening to all these masters, you know, some of the first people I was exposed to was like, you know, Wynton Marsalis, Maynard Ferguson, Clark Terry, all of these guys. And I was listening to them and I thought to myself, like, I want to make music that's going to inspire somebody the way that I'm inspired by them. This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru Sang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Nathaniel Williford. Nathaniel, well, he's an old soul. At the ripe old age of 17, Nathaniel has already begun to make an impression on the trumpet world. Nathaniel's beautiful sounds, improvisational skills, and command of the trumpet's upper register have earned him numerous awards and accolades, but what's caught the attention of many of the top names in the industry is not Nathaniel's chops, it's his humility, sincerity, maturity, and dedication to his craft. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! All right. I am really thrilled today uh, for this episode because I am joined by Mr. Nathaniel Williford, who has the distinct honor of being the youngest trumpet guru of all time, or at least up to this point. So Nathaniel, good to meet you, my friend. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me, Jose. All right, man. Uh, you know, I, I am a big fan of your playing. Um, you know, you... Uh, you've been posting a whole lot of stuff on social media. And so, uh, you know, as you stuff, you know, what pop up, you know, I, I click on it and go, dang on, who is this guy? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's just, it's very impressive. And uh, I'm just so happy to, to get a chance to talk to you. And I think it's important because being, uh, being as young, how old are you, by the way? I'm 17 right now. At, the, at, at this time, as of uh, 2022, he's 17 years old. So, um I think it's important because, you know, certainly I talked to, I've, you know, talked to some veterans, you know, yeah. people in the business for, for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for other trumpet players to get to talk to young and up and coming talent, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to get a feel for, uh, for what's going on right now on the scene, you know, as you're uh, coming, uh, you know, into your, starting to, to get into your own and, yeah. uh, you know, kind of, you know, I think because I think the demands for trumpet players have changed over over the years. Big time. So um, let's kind of start with with where you are right now. You're you're down in Florida, uh, yeah. and uh, are you studying with Dan Miller? Yeah, um, Dan Miller and I. It's funny we met. Um, I was playing lead trumpet in an all county band, Osceola County all county band, and he was the clinician for the group. And um, I met him and right off the bat, you know, I would get to rehearsal a little bit early so I could talk with him and we would geek out about our gear and all that stuff. But we we formed a really good relationship. And then we went a little while without talking. And as, as soon as COVID hit, that's when uh, Dan and I really just hit the ground running. You know, um, I started studying with him virtually, obviously. And um, for... For a long time, we were doing once a week, twice a week. Stuff has slowed down, you know, because, I mean, Dan is, 
very in demand down here. You know, he's working just about everywhere that there's a good gig. You know, Dan Miller's at it. And, you know, I've gotten busy here and there too. But throughout it all, you know, we're still connecting, I'm still taking lessons with him, and I'm always in contact with him. And, uh, I mean, mentorship to me is just so, so important. And I'm so grateful to have somebody like Dan Miller. I mean, just top-notch musician, but also everything that he's taught me, you know, I, I owe so much to, to him. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and you know, talk about mentorship. It's, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And um, they're, they're the, there's a difference between being a teacher uh, or coach and being a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like a teacher, you know, if, if I was your, your, your trumpet teacher, uh, which probably be more the other way around, you'd be my trumpet teacher is that, you know, it's like, okay, this is how, this is how you single tongue. This is how you double tongue. This is how you do, you know? And so it's like about the technique and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mentoring is, gets into more of, uh, a life approach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being, being the example. So like being, you know, uh, being like a career counselor in a way to be, mm-hmm. uh, being, yes. uh, being family, you know, whether yeah. you think you're like father figure or mother figure or whatever, but, you know, but, but, or bigger brother or anything like that. But it's like mm-hmm. being, being that person that has a connection that's much deeper than just the transmission of some technical knowledge. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the mentor mentee relationship is really interesting because as the mentor, you feel responsibility to the person you're, that, that you're being the mentor to. But as the mentee, you kind of have to have a, a, a open mindset as well. You know, you have mm-hmm. to be receptive. So, you know, as being someone who's, you know, at, at, your, at your age, uh, when you're working with, you're getting a chance to work with someone like Dan, like, you know, what are some of the big lessons that you, you've learned from him outside of, you know, just how to play the horn? Mm-hmm. Um, well, one big thing, me and him kind of talked about this recently, and it's funny because we finally talked about it as like an actual conversation, but it's kind of been an underlying idea since we began working with each other. And he just explained to me essentially kind of what we're doing now. He was like, it's equally as if not more important, but the hang is more important sometimes than playing on the bandstand with somebody else, you know? Um, and most of our lessons are are hangs like that you know he tells me all these stories about being on the road with harry connick and you know he hooked me up i took a lesson with roger so he would tell me stories about being with roger same thing with bobby shoe you know and just all of these life stories about what his journey has been like and you know we talked about his experience with maynard all of these things and it it really addresses um kind of like an approach to have on things when i get to that point and also, um, like the attitude or the way that I should carry myself when I get to that point as well. You know, he just talked about that sense of community, hopefully, because it's not always like that, you know. But we've talked a lot about that, about uh, the hang and what it means to be a good person. Because when you get on a tour bus with some of these guys for a couple months, like, you, you, everybody's got to be cool. Because if not, it's not going to be happening and you're going to be stuck real close with each other for a long time, you know. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of that stuff, you know, um, and we talk about like what it means to make music, you know, as opposed, like you said, like having a trumpet teacher is great, you know, and, and it's cool to have somebody that's going to show you the ropes about this is how you play the trumpet. But, you know, Dan and I's relationship, of course, we talk about the trumpet, but we talk about making music and we talk about like life as a musician, you know, so 
I would say that's that's one of the big things too. Um, the probably the biggest thing, like I mentioned, is how important the hang is. You know, because he indirectly, like I said, we've kind of been talking about that. Most of our lessons are hangs like that. So he's kind of been coaching me along for longer than I thought about. But then we finally talked about it, and I realized that to be true with just about everybody I talk to and hang with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you know, there's um, there there are a couple of really important, uh, I think, nuggets that, that you kind of touched on already in that. I, the first one is, um, you know, the importance of just being a good person, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, regardless of whether you're on the tour bus or it's just like if you're in a, in a pit, uh, or just on stage, if you're hanging around people for any extended period of time, um, you don't want to make it a difficult thing mm-hmm. you know, because it's difficult off stage, and it, and that that spills over to on stage, and yeah. you know, and so yeah, just just don't be a jerk. <laughs> bottom bottom line, yeah. uh, um, and that's it's certainly one of the things that, um, like for someone of your age. And in, in, in your talent, it's very easy, and I have seen this happen, to develop a big head, mm. you know. And the one thing, you know, this is this is our meeting each other, you know, officially, our, our first hang. But I know people that have, have done hangs with you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people like Trent Austin and, you know, people like that, you know, people that I respect a whole lot. And if they say you're a good guy, that means you're a good guy, you know. <laughs> So, you. you know, and, and that, that is, that's finding that balance of like, you, you have, you have this confidence in your youth as a player, mm-hmm. but also that level of humility and understanding that, you know, everybody that you meet has got something to share with you. And you're kind of like this sponge that just, just mm-hmm. to, to absorb that because, you know, you, you've got, you've got a passion to, to be a great trumpet player. So, yeah. um, you know, I, and and Dan, I think is is the perfect example of somebody to, to be a great mentor because of all the things that he's gone through. But yeah. I mean, a lot of times people think, well, you can't be a mentor until you're, you know, like you're like me, old and gray and or bald. <laughs> and, and I don't want to see you bald, man, because you got all that nice hair going on. <laughs> but but um, you know, you're still in a position where you can mentor. Mm-hmm. You know, people. So have you already kind of gotten some people that that have come to you for advice or, you know, you've maybe, you know, taken under your wing a little bit to kind of help them along in, in their path? I have, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of people that come and ask to study with me and stuff. And then sometimes it ends up being like a trumpet lesson that we talked about, but there's, you know, there's some people that come up to me and have that same, that I can sense just that hunger and I recognize it because it's it still exists and it's prominent within me, you know. So there's there's a couple of people that I come across, and that that to me is the coolest thing. And what what makes me what motivates me the most is when somebody like that they come up to me and tell me like, "Hey man, um, I just want to let you know like you're playing your videos inspire me." That motivates me to go further because. Really, that's what I want to do at the end of all of this. You know, when I first picked up the horn and I started listening to all these masters, you know, some of the first people I was exposed to was like, you know, Wynton Marsalis, Maynard Ferguson, Clark Terry, all of these guys. And I was listening to them and I thought to myself, like, I want to make music that's going to inspire somebody the way that I'm inspired by them, 
you know? So when, when somebody that's hungry like that comes up to me and asks to study with me or just, just to say something like that, to me, that motivates me the most. And it also makes me realize, again, how, how important that mentorship is, you know, because I've been so lucky, you know, with Dan and another one of my big mentors is Wayne Bergeron. You know, Wayne is has another one of those people that's just always there for me, telling all these stories and things like that. And um, I feel I feel privileged when I get to share just a little bit of insight with somebody like that. You know, obviously, I don't have anywhere close to the years and years of experience that some of my mentors have or mentors in general. But it makes me happy to be able to share just a little bit of stuff that I have experienced along the way already. Yeah. Well, and and that's a big reason why I wanted to get you on this, because um, you know, th- we learn we learn by experience. That's the way that that humans learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but the thing is that the experience doesn't have to be your experience. Mm, yeah. yeah. So you you borrow the experiences of others. So that's why you know getting into these kind of relationships is so good because you know if if you're hanging out with with Dan and and Wayne and you know cats like that, they have got so many years of experience. And when you put it together, you've got two lifetimes, maybe three lifetimes, considering how much Wayne works of yeah. experience there that you add to the own your, your own things that you're going through because there's there are certain things that you're not going to be able to learn from anybody else you got to experience them yourself yeah yeah but you you do have some some things like where you know somebody like dan can say yeah okay look man you, if you're gonna be on the bus you gotta you gotta be cool because you know mm-hmm. that, that's not gonna work or wayne saying something like you know hey look if you got a lot of sessions coming up then here's some things that you need to think about in terms of you know how to pace yourself and so you learn all these things so you don't crash and burn along the way um and then being able to put it through your own unique perspective because the demands of the modern trumpet player uh have really changed oh yeah Uh, and 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 much of it is in part to people like that wayne bergeron guy who i just want to strangle sometimes (laughs) i love wayne wayne i i consider wayne to be a dear friend as well uh but uh you know as you you have these guys like wayne and roger uh who have kind of raised the bar like for a lead trumpet player then you've got people like you know winton who's just you know is winton uh you know so you, you've got all these things that like okay well now this is the standard the standard yep. went here so now it's no longer as a lead trumpet player it's no longer uh good enough to be able to play a high f yep mm-hmm. you know if you're playing gordon goodwin charts yeah you gotta have yeah you gotta have a lot more than that because yeah those charts are written for for Wayne. So mm-hmm. your demands are a little bit higher. Um, so at, at being in the position that you're in right now, uh, what do you see as as being like the the critical skills that young players or actually even older players need to develop if if they want to be competitive in in this market? That's a good question. Um, for me. One, I mean, this this one is almost pretty obvious, but I, I think it's a lot more serious than people just acknowledging it. But it's this sense of like versatility, because uh, no longer are the days, I mean, for most of us, obviously, so, like somebody, 
Winton is already doing it. If Wayne decided to do just one thing for the rest of his career, he'd probably be all right because he's Wayne, you know. But for a majority of us that are like up and coming and things like that, it's not really realistic, you know, to just play straight ahead swing and and be able to pay your bills and stuff like that, you know, or to just do this or that. So this sense of versatility and um, like being aware and Wayne talks about this a lot. I've talked to him about it and he's talked about it in a couple interviews you know of like having a good understanding of multiple different genres of music so that you can authentically recreate it and not just you know play the notes that are on the page you know so to, to kind of have this respect for music in total as opposed to just the specific genre or subgenre of music that you're into, you know, because you can always have your focus, you know, you'll you'll love your you love playing bebop, you love playing lead, you love playing orchestral principal trumpet, but to have a wider lens and to appreciate all kinds of music, I think is super important, especially as trumpet players. I mean, we're there's the application for the trumpet exists in so many different places, you know, even even some of the top hip-hop and rap artists you know they have small bands performing with them at coachella and all this stuff there's trumpet players up there you know that's a gig too you know you can't you can't be like oh well i play bebop i'm not going to take this good amount of money touring with whoever it is you know what i'm saying like it it's got to be a little bit more open-minded and um I would say another another important thing this is specifically for young players because um this is kind of something that I went through and I still go through. Like when, when you're alone and in the practice room, um, and if you're serious about wanting to be a professional trumpet player, a professional musician, um, I think both of these things are equally as important, um, but it's important to know the difference between playing and practicing. Um, because when I was younger, you know, I would be playing for hours and hours a day, you know, which I'm sure was good for my endurance or something. But it wasn't necessarily like a discipline. I'm working on something to get better. You know, I was just, I would put on some records and I would play, you know, I'd play with, playing along with Maynard or whatever it was back then. And it wasn't until a little bit later on that I became aware of like, I think I need to start, there's things that I'm not good at that I need to get better at, you know, and I need to start working on those things. Now, the, the one thing I tell people when I say that is I don't, me personally, I don't believe that either of those things should exist without each other. I think it's a very, like, it should be a healthy relationship that, because if you're just practicing all of the time and, you know, it's just discipline, you're going to lose the joy that you first found when you picked up the horn. You know, you're, you're not, you're not going to be, ah, I got to get the horn out of the case and I got to practice today. And if you just play, you know, you'll you'll get better at certain things, but you're not going to become as well-rounded of a musician as you would like to be or should be. So having a healthy relationship between being able to play, you know, just play whatever you want, and then having some time to sit down and say, all right, my articulation is not that good. Let me do some Goldman or whatever it is. You know, let me do some scales. Let me hone this in. You know, having those two things, I think, is super important. And like I said, I think that more applies to the younger generation that's coming up. Cause I'm sure a lot of the older cats have figured a lot of that out, you know, but as long as you start getting that stuff happening inside, you know, you have, like we talked about an open mind, you're appreciating music as a whole. And then you also understand your responsibilities as a trumpet player, which is different for everybody. Um, I think those two things are super important for 
where music is going to be by the time we're older and we're the old guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the play thing is really interesting because, um, like in, in, uh, in Chinese, like when they, when they talk about like when you, when you do martial arts, they, uh, the word that they use at Lian, it literally translates as play. So they don't say, are you going to practice? Mm. Uh, it's like, you know, let's play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has a connotation of a level of freedom and enjoyment, even mm-hmm. though it can be discipline. You know, it's like, you know, if you talk to LeBron about playing basketball, it's, it's fun, but he's serious, you know, he's serious about those skills, you know? So I think that, that it's like you were saying, finding that balance between the joy of playing the instrument and the practicing, the, the dedicated practice and, you know, being deliberate about what you're doing. Um, yeah. And we tend to always want to veer, you know, we veer towards what we're most comfortable with, but yeah. Um, you know, what you were saying though, about, uh, playing, it kind of reminded me of, uh, I was at a master class that Tim Hagens was giving mm. and Tim is one bad improviser. That, that mm-hmm. man is bad. And he, he said something that really was interesting. He's like, oh, you should always start your day with free play. Mm. Like, you know five, 10 minutes, like no time, no key, no changes, Mm -hmm. just get the horn out and just start playing Mm -hmm. and, you know, express what you feel inside and think more like in shapes than, than in patterns. Mm. And, uh, he said that in terms of like developing your skills as a, as a jazz player, creative by removing all limitations, you start to actually find your own voice mm. you know so you're not like oh here comes a two five i'm gonna play this clifford lick it mm-hmm. you know you're just really taking all those boundaries away and i think so many people uh you know they they lose sight of that time that the importance of that being able to just do it without any expectations yeah and and, and that that helps you kind of test test your limits i think in many ways yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I, I kind of, I resonate with that idea of, you know, the first thing in the morning is just play whatever you feel like, because, you know, like you mentioned, I'm, I'm at a point, like I personally, I'm in love with music and I'm in love with the trumpet. So I can still find joy when I'm sitting down doing a routine over and over again, but there's nothing like playing whatever it is you want to play because that, like I said, that's what gives you that joy of, we all remember when we first picked up the trumpet and then you made, you know, you played a G or a C, whatever. And you were like, Oh my, you're looking at this thing in your hands. Like it's a piece of treasure. Like, Oh my goodness, I'm making music on this thing, you know? And uh, I, I really like that idea of, you know, just first thing in the morning, just play whatever it is that you want, you know? And, um, some you know it's going to be different every day some days you're just going to have time to play some days you're just going to have time to practice but as long as you keep that happy balance of both in your life like that's that's to me that's the formula for success you know because you're going to progress your your creativity the way your mind is working and then you're also gonna you're gonna progress in terms of your fundamentals your technique all that stuff and if those two are happening in sync then that's, you know, that's the formula for success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I used to tell my students, um, 
for practice sessions. And, and you know, the first one I got was from from Bobby. Uh, the the thing about uh, you know doing small small chunks of practice. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I'll, I'll practice for ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and go you know get a cup of coffee or go read the paper or do something like that. And then you know to to try and keep yourself fully engaged. You know, because yeah. when you're not engaged, then you're not really practicing. Yep. And you're not really playing. You're just yeah, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but yeah. uh, but saying like you know to do things like bookending, so like to do something fun at the beginning of the segment section, mm-hmm. work until you get that to that point of frustration, mm-hmm. and but before you quit that whatever it's whether it's 15 minutes or 15 hours before you quit, do something fun again. So yeah. that you always start and stop with something that's enjoyable and makes mm-hmm. you feel good about yourself. Because if you stop in the middle of, you know, doing a, a characteristic study that you've been torturing, you know, then mm-hmm. then you don't want to go back, you know, because you, yeah. you come from that mindset. So mm-hmm. are, are there little things that you use to kind of keep your, uh, you know, keep your chill when you're playing? Yeah, um, I, I kind of resonate with that idea that Bobby said of like, um, practicing in small increments. For me, it depends. I, I do it a couple different ways. Sometimes it's like that where it'll be like 15 minutes to half hour and then I'll chill out for a little bit, you know, and then I'll come back. And then I'll have some days, you know, like if I'm home alone or something and I can really focus, like there's no outside distractions where I'll, I'll put a couple hours at a time, you know, and really focus on things. But um, one thing that I really like to do is, you know, just put some records on of like, you know, some legends, and it can be either a transcription that I'm working on. And this is, you know, transcription, when you're transcribing somebody, that can be both play and practice, depending on how you look at it. So for this purpose, like when I'm at the end of a practice session, like you said, I won't necessarily practice the transcription, like I won't, I won't try to transcribe more than I've transcribed. I'll just transcribe the four or five choruses that I did already. I'll play them, and then I'll just start blowing along with Clifford or whoever I'm listening to. Because at that point, my goal is not to, you know, find out, you know, what he's playing. I, I just want to play. You know, I just want to have fun. So for me, it's a, a lot of it's like that. You know, putting on some some records and playing jazz, improvising for a little bit over tunes. Um, and at the beginning of of my uh, of my practice sessions. It's usually a little bit, a little bit of that as well. I'll touch on some things like I'll play a couple licks, or you know, I'll play a couple choruses. Like a one thing I like to do is like mix up. If I'm playing like a blues, you know, I'll play a, a, a chorus that I transcribed of Kenny Dorham, then of Clifford, and all this stuff. And I like mix, match them together so that it's all in time, you know. And I like doing stuff like that. It's pretty cool or in different orders. And I just I just kind of mess with that at the beginning and the end of my practice sessions because you know it gets my brain juice flowing, but I'm not sitting there like ah I missed I missed I messed up that note you know I'm I'm just I'm just going for it and having a good time that's that's fun to me you know yeah well and and like you're saying it, it, it when you're younger yeah you basically what's happening you're closer to that point of joy like you were saying you know when we first when, when all of us first started playing we we decided we wanted to play the trumpet 99% of us because we enjoyed it we loved it it was so much fun and then at some point some point along the way then it became work or it became you know became your gig and mm-hmm. I, I i certainly went through that phase in my life um but you know, you're, you're close enough to that beginning of your career where there's still the joy. 
uh, you know, and the further we get away from that, then the easier it is to lose sight of it. And so that's why I think, you know, young cats like you can, are, are so important because uh, for one, the young, the, the, the kids that are just starting right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're watching this podcast and you're either a beginning trumpet player or if you're a, a band director and you're, you've got, you know, young students who want to really become serious players, then listen to what Nathaniel has to say because he's that guy that's doing it right now. And if you're an old guy like me, listen to this because this might help to reinstill in you that childlike desire, not saying mm-hmm. child, but, you know, that, that childlike love that we all had for the trumpet at some point and that's the stuff that that's the stuff that gets you through the tough parts because if you don't love this man you're not going to do all the crap you got to do to get good are you crazy no way i mean the trumpet is the trumpet is too heavy for that you know what i'm saying (laughs) oh absolutely And, and speaking of heavy you were just in new york my friend recently uh and uh, and hanging with one of your idols uh mr mr winton marcellus um so uh what was that like man being being up there and being uh being part of that uh that whole event honestly that was you know i've been lucky you know i've met a lot of really good and formed relationships with a lot of really great players you know we talked about trent and wayne all that stuff but this was like probably the most unreal experience for me because so the Century Ellington competition, you know, it's something that uh, Jazz Lincoln Center normally holds every year. It, it was a little weird the last two years because of COVID, everybody knows. Um, but, you know, they it, every, a bunch of people auditioned from all over the, the country of high school level uh, bands and they choose 15 people, or 15 groups, I'm sorry. And you go, you know, you play, there's a bunch of clinics, all that stuff. It's a really cool experience. Now, my school, the school that I go to now, they have done it before. They've done it three times total before I went, you know. And, uh, you know, they've always told us about how great the experience has been. My school's never placed or anything like that before. It's never placed top three or anything. And it's been a long time since we went. The last time my school went was when I was in seventh grade. So uh, I was at the school when it happened. You know, my school was a middle school, high school. So I saw it happen, but it's been a long time, you know. And my school went through a rough patch with some band directors and stuff. We had a we had a funny experience. So, you know, I, I'm playing lead trumpet in Jazz A. That's the top jazz band at my school. And... Literally, we we started getting the music together to audition for it, you know, record the tapes. But my expectations were not, you know, I was not expecting to get in. You know, we were hope we were all hoping to get in. You know, we put in a lot of work and stuff. But it, and we found out we got in, and it wasn't like, oh my goodness, we're gonna win. It was like I kept we made it. You know, just the getting in for all of us, we were like, oh my goodness, who would have thought this was possible? You know, we just came back after COVID, you know, there's just all these factors. We have a brand new jazz director. This was his first year in my school, you know, so we're we're just on cloud nine. And when we get to New York, it's just that same attitude. We were all just happy to be there. Honestly, like with the experience that we had, we could have placed dead last, 15th place. And I would have walked away the happiest person in that room. You know what I'm saying? So we were all, you know, we're just... Our goal when we got there was just to swing as hard as we could, to play the music the best that we've ever played it, you know, the best that we could. So we got there. It was beautiful, you know, meeting all these guys. There was clinics. We got to see Lincoln Center perform. 
then they had the instrument specific clinics and that's when i got i got the chance to hang briefly with you know kenny rampton and marcus Brunup. i got to hang out with them for a little bit and then it came time to play and i mean i think i speak for most of us i was dead nervous you know i was just shaking in my boots you know this stage that i've seen went and perform on a bunch of times but also other high schools you know we used to watch their their performances at essentially ellington all the time and we're like oh my gosh that's so dope that's so cool you know and then just that realization like oh my goodness we're gonna be those people in just a couple minutes you know we were all dead nervous but we got up there and um all that i can remember was having a lot of fun you know like we were swinging and the whole time i was sitting there i was nervous you know just the thinking about like witness in the audience listening to my playing i was a little selfish in that regard i was just yeah i was thinking about like oh my god Winton's listening to me play you know i was scared but it was fun it was a lot of fun you know and every you know a couple of guys in the band are blowing over some tunes and all that and i'm just like yeah man yeah man and then it just it kept it growed it kept growing like exponentially from there you know we found out we were in top three and you know then we were going crazy because like i said my school has never placed you know they've never not even third or anything like that so we're like oh my god is this real you know everybody's flipping out we went to eat dinner before the finals performance and then the finals performance was the highlight of the trip for me you know we, we played two tunes from our set and we had we had a little bit more confidence because we already played on the stage you know the technically the competition part was over now we were just playing for everybody so we got up there and that was just so much fun and i got a chance to play with marcus printup marcus printup came up for one of the tunes so me and him you know we traded we did a trumpet battle all this stuff and it was just so so fun you know the people in the audience were the people in the audience could see that we were relaxed now you know so it was a lot it felt like you know if you were in a small club and everybody's interacting you know everybody's yelling back and forth and all this stuff it was beautiful and then needless to say of course like when we found out we won we were like wait really <laughs> you know because we were expect we were not expecting any of that everybody was kind of dumbfounded but it was beautiful you know the whole band it just it felt like family through that whole trip you know we just felt super close to each other and um a, a lot outside of just our performance like being in new york and talking with some of the people that there it really changed my life in a in a big way and uh it really changed my outlook on like what i want to do in terms of my career you know being around such prominent and important people in the new york scene was like oh and then like getting to hang with them a little bit like we talked about earlier you know i got the chance to hang with kenny and marcus just briefly you know and even that was more than enough to like really open my eyes and open my mind to what things would be like that experience was you know my the people that went to my school that went before they said it was life-changing you know and i'm like oh yeah but now after living it, like I can truly attest, that was one of the highlights or best moments in my career this far. Yeah. Wow. That's great.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And that's a great story, too, in that I think sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves to perform well, you know, and like going into that with the, hey, we're just happy, we're happy to be here. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure that that had a lot to do with it, because your mm-hmm. your expectations, it's not that you had low expectations, it's just that you were grateful for the opportunity and that let you just mm-hmm. actually play music. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important, you know, like if, especially in the sense of like a competition, I like, I personally believe that like, if you go into it with the attitude of like, I'm playing for first place or I'm playing to win, it shows in the music, you know, because like you can't really offer a full authentic musical experience if your motive is to serve your place in the competition and it's not to serve the music, you know, like that has to, serving the music has to be at the forefront of every gig you play, every performance, you know. And of course, it's not realistic to be that 100% of the time. We all have our days, you know. But as long as you're conscious of that and trying to have that at the forefront, I think that's how you create the best musical experience that you can, you know. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's, yeah, especially for, for younger players, you know, uh, whether it's being, you know, in the, the music competitions, you know, the band competitions, things like that, or or when you get into college and you have to do your auditions and your juries and things like that, that when your mind is focused on either winning or what generally that means is not making mistakes. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't mess this up. I have to play this perfectly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then like you say, it gets in the way of the music and Mm -hmm. it should always be first and foremost music. And especially with jazz, you know, so much of jazz is about, expression and the freedom that exists there uh you know so you, you're going to kill any creativity if you if you get up to blow you know blow two courses and you're worried about playing you know hitting every change mm-hmm. then you've limited your vocabulary you yeah. know and you've limited your expressiveness mm-hmm. so yeah I, I think that that freedom comes in really handy so you had said that that this kind of like changed your outlook on what you want to do with your career i mean how uh, what happened? You know, what, what are you thinking now? Um, in a nutshell, I want to be in New York now. Like that's really how all of that opened my mind to, you know, and I, like, I got the chance to talk with Kenny and Marcus specifically them to the most about like what that would look like, you know, and what that would mean. And, um, it's difficult. It's difficult to make a living in New York. Very, very much so you know, but they were very encouraging in that fact, you know, and I'm hoping to go to school out there too. You know, I'm hoping Juilliard is pretty high on my list. You know, that's where I'm, that's where I'm aiming to be, hopefully. So, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the, the biggest thing is that, and it, it's funny because I kind of came full circle in the sense that when I first picked up the trumpet, I, I was fortunate enough that like, I kind of knew that I wanted to be a musician for the rest of my life as soon as I started playing, you know? Like, I I kind of fell in love with it right off the bat. And I was just like, 
it it just it didn't make sense to me to do anything else you know when i when i picked it up i was like why would i do something that's not making music you know so because of that the first thing when i was that young um i wanted to go to new york i wanted to live in new york and back then I used, you know, I have a couple of shirts in my closet and a hat about Juilliard. You know, I was like, oh, I want to go to Juilliard and be in New York and make music. So that's where I started, you know, back in sixth grade and seventh grade, all that stuff when I first started. And then um, stuff changed a little bit as time went on. For a little while, um, I had my sights set on L.A., um, going out to the West Coast scene and, you know, recording a lot and all that stuff. Um, and... I guess the thing that motivated me the most for New York, you know, like the scene in LA, it's, um, I think a big part of the reason that I wanted to go out there and I was more confident going out there is because I was kind of thinking about the LA scene as it was in the like eighties or nineties. And it's important to recognize for all of us young people, you know, the scene is constantly changing no matter where you go, but like specifically for LA, it's very different than it was in the eighties and nineties. You know, like it, you really do have like a handful of guys recording everything now, you know? And I, I, I would hope that if I got there, I could work my way in, you know, and I could, you know, get some kind of work there. Um, but just everything that happened in New York, I don't know. That was, I've been to New York before, before that, but that was my first time being there on a music related trip and it just it felt like home you know it felt like all right this is where i have to be i it felt like i would have the most space to explore and express my creative self in my music you know like that i would have opportunities to play what i wanted to play and all that good stuff and so yeah it kind of brought me full circle back to where i was at the beginning you know of wanting to get into that New York scene and wanting to go to Juilliard. So, uh, yeah, that it, it's funny. You know, I talked to my mom and stuff about it. My mom knows the most. I used to just, all of these names as time goes on, I'm sure my, if my mom had a nickel for every time I said, you know, Wayne Bergeron or Wynton Marsalis or Maynard Ferguson, but along with that, when I used to talk about New York and Juilliard all the time when I was younger, you know, it's it's just come full circle because now I'm back in that same position that that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a uh, recently had a hang with uh, Bijan Watson. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, Bijan is is a beast yep. for sure. Uh, but we were, we were having the, the discussion because he's uh, you know he was born and raised in uh, in Boston and spent you know a you know, good deal of time East Coast playing and then went to school on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And we were having discussion between the the East Coast and West Coast, the the difference in the music <laughs> scenes, and not just the scenes, but the but the, the general vibe, yeah, you know, of music, you know. And L.A. This is nothing against L.A. because I, you know, some of my favorite players and some of my mm -hmm. favorite music has come out of L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, but L.A. is a little a little more polished, mm -hmm. a, a, a little more more clean. New yeah. York has got a little bit of grit. A little, yeah. a little edge to it, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a different scene. So, so it has to be something that fits with your, with your personality. Yeah. You know? 
And, uh, you know, I just think that, that there's, there's so much, both cities have so much to offer, Uh, but you know, I, for me, I think in terms of like, uh, especially doing a whole lot of like club jazz sort of stuff, Mm -hmm. New York is the place to be. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you want to do session stuff, definitely LA. If mm-hmm. you want to do, if you want to do a lot more of those live hits and, and small club sort of stuff, there's, yeah. a, there's so much more going on in New York, in my opinion. Yeah. And one thing too, and this is, I, I talked specifically with Marcus about it. Cause I told him that, you know, for a little while I was wanting to get onto the West coast scene, you know, and get into LA and stuff. But um, I get this is kind of like a shameless plug because I know you would use one as well. But I have one of Michael Barkley's microphones, you know, and I'm slowly trying to get my recording set up better. But I hope to do that, you know, if I'm in New York or when I'm in New York, hopefully. Um, I hope to, you know, I can still do some remote recording. And there, to an extent, there is some recording going on in New York. Obviously not on par with LA, which is a majority of the time in sessions and recording and stuff, but there are sessions in New York. And of course, you know, talking with Roger, I mean, Roger does a whole bunch of remote recording. Obviously Wayne does now too, because of COVID. So hopefully, you know, expanding my horizon into some of that, that way, you know, I can get a little bit of uh, both worlds, you know, and kind of dip my feet into both, you know. Yeah, I, I I can't remember who I was having a conversation with was, uh, it, and it was about that specifically. It was how uh, one of the things that's come out of COVID is that it really showcased how technology has changed and has opened up the doors for remote recording because yeah. you know everybody had to start doing remote recording. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. there was just, there was no other option. So you know, whereas. Like when when I was your age, you know, um, back in the 1800s, uh, yeah. you, you you either had to be in L.A. or New York or Nashville if you wanted to be, you know, in the recording scene. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, you can you could live in Wyoming if mm-hmm. if they have internet service out there, huh. uh, and and you can you know you could you could do your tracks, cut your tracks, and you can send them. Uh, yeah. and obviously you can't do big soundstage sort of stuff, you know, like, so like when you're playing like for a soundtrack for a movie, you know, you need to be in there unless you're mm-hmm. cutting a solo part, you know, if you're, when you're playing, you know, playing the beds, you got to be in there with the, with the rest of the orchestra. But, yeah. but for so much of the stuff, especially for like commercial work, like, you know, doing horn section work, you know, you, you can be anywhere. Yeah. Be anywhere, man. So. You know, that that's definitely cool. And yes, that that was a that was a great plug for Michael Barkley. Mike, I will cut this and I'll I'll send you a little clip of it so you can put yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I got mine sitting right here next to me on my desk, you know, on great microphone. Mike's the man. Yeah. Man. So uh so like you know, when when you think about your career, I mean it, it, when you think about what, what your future holds for you, um yeah, I, I believe that that you have to have this balance between having a clear vision of, of what you would like to do, you know, what your passions are, and then also have a level of flexibility to uh, basically like improvising, you know, you've got to be able to, to navigate and, and be willing to, to shift when and where needed. Um, so like right now, if you, if you had to paint a picture of where you were going to be, you know, 10 years from now, sure. That'd be. Oof. 
It's a little tricky because, um, like I said, one of the things that's so important to me and one of the traits that I hope to develop about myself or that I look for in other musicians is that sense of, you know, that open-mindedness about music and playing a bunch of different things. For me personally, I guess the places that I hone in the most or the the my specialty areas is definitely playing lead trumpet and jazz. Um, you know, that's what I spend a lot of my time on. So if we're looking at like what my career could look like, you know, if, if I'm in New York, especially, um, I'd see myself, you know, hopefully having residency in some group playing lead trumpet or, you know, just in the section in general, you know, um, playing some local, some local, you know, some club dates, you know, and stuff like that, playing with a small group. I would love to have my own small group at some point, you know, a quartet or a quintet, whatever the case may be. Um, I do have a love for, you know, kind of like big bands on the road and stuff like that. So I would love to, at that point, have gone on tour with, you know, I don't know, like Michael Buble or something like that, you know, and hit hit the road with like a big band or something like that. Um, but I don't think, I I guess I would say I hope that I don't think I'll, I'll be doing like, I don't want to just be a lead trumpet player. Like lead trumpet is kind of my first love. And that's what I do a majority of the time. And I love doing it more and more than anything else. But I don't want to just be hired to play lead trumpet, you know? Like I, I want to play my fair share of lead, you know, that's fun and all. But I want to do a lot of different stuff, you know, and play weddings, all that good stuff, you know, just to have my foot in the door in a lot of different places. So I would say maybe have like my home base as a lead trumpet player, commercial trumpet player in, in New York. But I want to have the freedom to do a lot of other things as well, you know. And then, of course, that's not even mentioning the remote recording like we were talking about earlier, you know. So maybe in 10 years, Hopefully I'll have gone on tour maybe once or twice to see what that's like, you know, and I'm, and I'm not talking about any crazy thing, you know, maybe just a couple of months on the road with somebody. And then at that point, I would hope to maybe lead trumpet as my home base, but I don't want to be pigeonholed into like, oh, you can only hire Nathaniel if you need a lead trumpet. You know, I want to offer myself to create whatever musical experience it is that you need for any given gig, you know. So I know that wasn't the most specific answer, but, you know. It's it's good. It's good. You got time. You got time to figure it out. Um, and you are what, what we often refer to as an old soul, mm. you know. Um, you know, you, you, you speak with a level of maturity that, um, frankly, people that I play with that are, you know, in their 50s don't have that level of maturity, which is a scary thing. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, you, but you also, you, you have, you exhibit uh, a knowledge and a love for the traditions of jazz. Uh, so, I mean, has, has that been kind of like a, a part of, has music been a part of your upbringing or is this just, you know, something that, that has occurred uh, through your experience, you know, with playing in school and working with people like Dan and, and Wayne and people like that? Well, the funny thing is, is, nobody in my family is musicians like when i was from when i was very young there was no music in the household i mean of course there's music playing on the speakers and i was listening to a lot of salsa growing up and all that stuff but there was no musicians in the family or anything 
And in my elementary school, I was I was playing recorder, you know, just like everybody else in elementary school. I was in an after school club, but I didn't care about it. You know, I would I always got caught. I was in extended day too. So I would like skip the music thing and go straight to extended day. And then I would get caught. Somebody would come to extended and they'd be like, hey, you're supposed to be with us, you know, all this stuff. But I didn't care about it back then. And um my teacher in elementary school, uh, Miss Silva. She is the one that told me to audition to the school I'm in now. It's middle school and high school. It's an it's an art school, and you know, there's a my school has a wide variety of different arts. There's band, orchestra, dance, creative writing, all that stuff. And when she told me about it, I was like, okay, you know, I still I didn't nobody really cares about playing recorder in elementary school, you know. Um, and she told my mom about it, and my mom was like, oh yeah, you have to audition because it's a nice school, you know, it's an art school. It's cool to all that stuff. So I went and auditioned. I did my little recorder thing and it was cool, whatever. Th th I hadn't really gotten exposed to any like real music yet, you know? Um, so I got in and my mom was ecstatic, but I still didn't really care because I didn't see what anything was like. And then they had this day of trying out instruments, you know, to pick what you're going to play in band. And uh, some people watching this might know this, but I started on trombone. Trombone was my first instrument. And I remember picking up the trombone and I, I, I kind of, I was like a natural in a sense, like I had a pretty good tone starting on, on trombone when I picked it up. And then I was like, oh my God, it was the same thing. You know, like we talked about when you pick up the trumpet, I was like, oh my goodness, I just made a sound on this thing. And I was playing with the slide, all that stuff. And, um, that like kind of right away is when my love started. Cause as soon as I was able to get that rental trombone, before the school year started, I was spending like every day practicing, you know, and then I was, you know, listening to a bunch of trombone players and it didn't take me long to get started on trumpet that same year on Christmas time. It was the day after Christmas. My uncle bought me because I had been saying I wanted to learn trumpet. He bought me this $100 Chinese uh, pocket trumpet off of Amazon. And this is one thing I'll say is I'm grateful because if some people have seen the video of, you know, when Trent Austin, you know, and Adam Rappa, they really blessed me and they gave me a horn, you know, back in ITG Miami 2019. The horn that I was playing before they gave me that, that was like very, very bad. You know, that was like borderline unplayable. Now this, it's funny, this $100 pocket trumpet that my uncle got me, I might have been better off playing that the whole time than the horn that was then, you know. It it was bad, but it, it was still playable. And um that was like a, almost like a second awakening for me even though it was just a few months after my you know playing trombone. And I played trombone for a long time, you know, through all of my middle school, 6th, 7th and 8th grade. I was technically only playing trombone in school. So I was playing trombone and concert band and jazz. But at home, I was just doing the trumpet thing. You know, I was, that's really all I was spending my time on. Cause I had kind of, I, I could play the trombone pretty well. You know, and I was, I was playing like first trombone and lead bone in the band and stuff like that. So I was spending a lot of time on doing what I wanted, you know, is playing the trumpet. So I was spending a lot of my time honing it in and I just, kept falling in love more and more, you know, and i found all these records. I found, you know, I was listening, like I said, some of the first people I listened to, I think Maynard, Maynard was like the first person that I was like, 
oh my gosh, you know, and I, I would get excited, you know, with kind of flying out and chameleon and coconut champagne. But then when I started finding um, Maynard's ballads from the 50s and 60s, you know, talking about like around midnight and people and tenderly and all this stuff, then it just like started a whole new game for me and like what the trumpet could sound, you know. Um, and I attribute learning on my own and listening to this music as a part of like, it's kind of difficult for me because I, I feel confident in my, in my skill, you know, but for me, it's kind of hard to uh, say that I'm like better than other people because I have these records to listen to, you know, like that's kind of what keeps me in check is when I'm listening to all of these master musicians, even people that I know when I listen to Dan's playing or Wayne's playing or Trent's playing. And I'm just like, all right, I'm all right, but I'm not all that yet. You know what I'm saying? That that keeps me back in home base, listening to these trumpet players or just musicians in general, when I hear good music, you know, and I'm listening to like the Jerry Hayhorns, all of that stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, it keeps me like, okay, I still, I still have a lot of work to do, but yeah, like I, I didn't really have a musical upbringing from the beginning, but as soon as I found like these instruments and the music, I kind of like surrounded myself in it, you know, and I just, I made my whole life, my whole everything at school during lunch, all this stuff. I was just practicing all the time at home. If I wasn't doing homework, which I didn't do most of the time. I was practicing, you know, so it, it very quickly became what my life was about. Yeah. Well, and then that was actually going to be the, the next question I asked you is it was about uh, balancing life as a, you know, as a teenager and being a trumpet player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, did you catch a lot of flack from your friends or your family about like, Nathaniel, man, why don't you go out and well, play some football or do something? You know, just get put that horn away. <laughs> well, one thing, um, I'm kind of like, you know, I mentioned my school is an art school, and a majority of the people at my school, you know, they don't necessarily want to go into the arts. You know, they don't want to pursue it for the rest of their life, but it's a cool place to be. Now, that being said, a lot of my friends and stuff like that, even before they met me and knew me, they saw the time and dedication that I put into the trumpet so it didn't it doesn't come as a shocker you know when they start becoming my friends and then another thing is I'm really lucky like I'm surrounded by very supportive people you know like um, when I was in New York as soon as I got off stage I go to check my phone and you know all of my friends were blowing up my phone like oh my goodness you know good either good luck before I performed or that was awesome if they were watching the live stream um, so I, I personally, like, I try to find like a balance, you know, in my life of there's days I'm also, a lot of people, uh, don't know this and some people don't agree with this, which I understand, but I'm a, I also am a very big, uh, I don't know, supporter, or, but I believe in taking off days. You know, I have usually about one a week. Um, some, sometimes if I'm busy, I don't, I don't get the chance to do one a week and I have to play all the time. Sometimes it's twice a week, you know, but I usually have a day that I just, I don't think about the trumpet. I'll listen to music, you know, I'll always be listening to music, but I, I take some time, you know, 
and and it's cool too like i'm i'm okay doing stuff with my friends i'm not gonna beat myself like oh i can't go out with you guys because i gotta shed you know what i'm saying i'm pretty okay with you know oh yeah let's go to the movies or something like that i can squeeze an hour or two in tomorrow you know or whatever the case may be so i i'm very um you know, I care about the trumpet a lot and a majority of my time goes into the trumpet. However, I try, I try my best to not let the trumpet become my identity, you know, because I'm still a person. I love music. I love the trumpet, but at the end of the day, I'm still Nathaniel, you know? So I, I try my best to just, you know, it's, it's okay to have fun sometimes or hang out, go outside. You know, I, I try not to make the trumpet my i try not to make the trumpet my limitations in my everyday life you know yeah well and that you know i hope you never lose that that balance and that insight because you know uh a lot of us have done that over the course of our lives and um you always gotta remember that whatever you're doing it's what you are doing it's not who you are you know yeah. and i know so many you know especially like trumpet players you know it's like you know they have a an injury or something and they can't play anymore and yeah it sucks and and you don't want that to happen you know you never want that to happen but yeah. you know just because you're not playing doesn't make you any less of a person yeah and uh so i definitely hope that that you can you can maintain that that clarity as mm. as you you get get older um so as you know but as as a young cat you know um what what's your What's your take on on the uh, the state of music, especially the the for trumpet players? You know, uh, are are you are you catching anything that that that's making you go, yeah, man, this is this is a cool new direction, and this is something that I would like to be involved in. Uh, you know, so what what's your take on the music scene? I I kind of for me personally, it depends like on what I guess what level um i'm like diving into in the music scene because like i said like i'm still a normal person so i enjoy just turning on the radio sometimes and listening to whatever on the radio now that being said i'm pretty much never going to turn on the radio to listen to anything of musical substance for me you know because a lot of that is gone you know if if i had been around during the days when you know the jerry hayhorns were on the radio I mean, I'd be being exposed to the the top-notch stuff all of the time, you know. And unfortunately, those days are no longer the case, you know. But I do believe that there is good music everywhere, you know. There's, um, and even in like, you know, the hip-hop scene and stuff like that, they're probably not as popular as everybody else, but there are hip-hop artists that are, you know, they have horn sections and their chord progressions exist more than out of a one, six, two, five, you know, all, you know, all this different stuff. So I, I think there's good music everywhere. I'm not a person like, I don't, I don't necessarily hate on, on different kinds of music because like I said, like to call yourself a musician and not somebody that just does one specific type of things, there has to be a respect for all music. And that's not to say that you have to like all kinds of music. Like there, without, I won't say any specific genres of music, but there's a couple of genre music that I just like. You could offer me $1,000 for a one hour gig and I would say no, because I don't want to be playing that kind of music. But 
there's still a respect for the people that make that music. And, you know, because all music is a form of self-expression. So to disrespect somebody's way of self-expression is to disrespect somebody's character, to disrespect their being, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, all music has its his, its own thing. Um, and part of me, I don't know exactly because I wasn't around in the 60s through the 80s, you know, when all these guys were, you know, making a living doing one specific thing or whatever the case may be. All I know is the music scene now, you know, I, I hear stories about what it used to be like, but all I've ever been exposed to and all I ever will be exposed to is what it is now and what it will be moving forward. And um, because I don't have, you know, a lot of guys that have been around for a while, you know, they talk very negatively about the current music scene and where it's going. They're like, oh, back back how it used to be. And I think they have, they're, they're justified in saying that to an extent, you know, things are different. And for a lot of them, it's turned out harmful, you know, not as much work and stuff like that. But as a person that's coming up in the current and evolving scene, I see a, I see a place for myself, you know, I, I see a place that more young people like me can uh, make a name for themselves, you know. The one danger in it being easier to make a name for yourself is that when it becomes easier or more accessible, it also becomes more difficult because there's a lot of competition. You know what I'm saying? So maybe there's not a, there's maybe there's not as many gigs like that. But as far as you know, making a name for yourself, because I kind of I kind of look at it as instead of being like something totally new. It's I almost like try to draw like equivalences between now and or comparison is a better word between now and what it would be, you know. So, you know, you think of guys like, you know, Bird and Dizzy and Miles and all this stuff that had even in the 60s, you know, in the 50s and 60s, they had names for themselves. You know, everybody knew who they were, no matter where they were going, they could walk into any club and people knew who they were, you know, and nowadays you can't really do that without a social media presence you know what i'm saying so that's kind of where i draw the equivalence is that like it's different you know it's different but now it's also it's also just as difficult if not more you know because the competition hasn't necessarily changed in the the context of the competition it's just changed where the competition is before it used to be headlines and papers or on the radio and stuff. And now it's social media presence, you know, where, where's your name being and stuff like that, you know? So I just think, um, I think a lot of qualities of the music scene have been retained as opposed to lost that a lot of people think it's just in a different form now, you know? So as long as you're aware of that and most of us young and up and up and coming people, you know, when I was super young, I mean, touchscreen phones and stuff were around and stuff, but it wasn't like the iPhone now. However, we we kind of grew up with the evolution of phones and stuff. So we know how everything works. You know, we know what social media is like. We know what our devices are like. So now it's just like you kind of got to dig a little bit deeper into that, you know, and there's a beautiful community of social media, you know, you can find your niche in a bunch of different places. 
but it also is difficult to make a name for yourself because there's so many, you know. So yeah, I think uh I think especially for the young and up and coming people, there's a place for all of us in the music scene. It looks a little bit different. Um, but it's not it's not the end of the world. You know, I don't think human culture or society will ever fully exist without music as we know it, you know. A lot of stuff is computerized and that's cool. You know, it is detrimental to us as live musicians at times, you know, but I don't think we're ever going to reach a point in time where all music is computerized. Like we as humans, we can't, we can't live without that authenticity that we get in a live performance of live people. So I don't think it'll ever get to that point. I hope it doesn't at least, because then I'll be out of the gig too. <laughs> yeah. Gotta start programming, man. Yeah. Uh, so actually speaking, do, do you do uh, composition? arranging things like that i haven't messed with it um in covid and stuff like that i kind of dabbled in it i'm i like right now i would not call myself a composer or arranger or anything like that just yet i've done a couple of my own things like just a couple of months ago um i now have a flugelhorn because you know trent is like the best person so he hooked me up while i was in san antonio but a couple of months ago, I had brought, you know, one of those flugelhorns home from school. And I had been listening to a lot of Joe Henderson. I was listening to Recordame a lot and all these different records. So I, I pulled out my microphone and opened up GarageBand. And I kind of started doing like an arrangement of uh, Recordame. And all of the uh, arrangements or the compositions that I've done, um, and this is a big part of why I wouldn't call myself a composer or arranger just yet, is like, I just set up the microphone and then I start playing. And so I lay down a track and I'm like, okay, that's cool. What do I hear next? You know? And then I lay down that track. Like I haven't really done like where I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm planning out or writing out a thing, whatever it is. I kind of just sit down, record a line or a background or something. And I'm like, oh, can I harmonize this? Can I add a different rhythm to this? You know? So it's just kind of, it's for fun for now. I hope, hopefully I get better and, you know, I can plan stuff out and all that. But for now, it's just, yeah. You know, that's the thing is like, there, there are a lot of great players uh, that never really dove into composing and arranging that much. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, playing was more their bag. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so just, you know, follow your passions. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I tell you, we've got, uh, we got three standard segments we got to get through uh, in this episode, and um, the first segment is uh, brought to us by our mutual friend, Mr. Michael Barkley of Barkley Microphones. That's right, best, yep. microphones, best ribbon microphones that you could get for uh, under the price of a car. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is all about sound concepts. It's called Sound Off, and so. Um, you know how how do you approach, especially being uh, being in the situations where you are, where you have to kind of balance between being lead and, and playing jazz, and you know maybe some some other things you have to do. Uh, how do you approach tailoring your sound to the right circumstances? Sure. Um, I think you know at the beginning when we all pick up the trumpet for the first time, none of us sounds good. You know we all sound bad tone all this stuff but as time passes along and you play more and you listen more you start to develop um 
your sound quality you know you start to develop your own sound and um everybody's sound is a little bit different but like you said it it is important to be aware of you know the musical context and what situation you're playing in so one thing that's uh important to know is that for the most part unless you make some like drastic change in your gear or something like that like you're gonna sound like you on in just about every situation but to me it's more of about like what color in your sound do you want to emphasize more than the rest you know so like when i'm playing lead trumpet obviously i you know i'm not going to play a one and a quarter c i mean there's people that can do that which is cool but i'm not going to play one and a quarter c to play lead um so the equipment is part of things you know but i'm thinking about like a sizzle and a fatness in my sound i'm not necessarily trying to change my sound I'm just trying to emphasize those colors or characteristics that are already in my sound, you know, and bring that to the forefront. And if I'm playing principal trumpet in the one ensemble, you know, I'm thinking about a more rounded, a little bit darker, perhaps. Uh, and I don't think these words have to be used um, like opposite of each other, but I'm thinking about darkness as well as brilliance at the same time, you know. So I'm always thinking about, you know, I sound like me and there, I'm, there's probably somebody that could do it, but I'm not going to magically sound like, I don't know, Chris Martin or Bud Herseth, you know, that's, that's not going to happen, but I'm going to find tailor my sound for whatever gig it is that I'm looking for. And, um, I do think gear is a part of it, you know, for different gigs. Um, and another Another thing that I'll say that's important in, you know, if I'm highlighting different colors or characteristics in my sound, then that also means that I have to know what my sound is. And I think, you know, to get to that point, um, you have to play a lot, you know, you're playing your long tones and all that stuff. So you get your technique and stuff happening, but also listening and trying to imitate different players, you know. Um, I forget what it, oh, you know, that thing that Clark Terry used to say, he he would say it in the context of like improvisation, but it goes for just about anything in sound when it's like imitate, assimilate, and then innovate. You know what I'm saying? So imitate all of these people, whoever sound you like, you know, and it, it can be a huge variety. Like nobody should be able to tell you who you have to listen to or who you should try to sound like. I mean, in the same day, probably spanned across a couple hours, probably not right next to each other, but I'll be playing along, you know, with like Maynard's around midnight. And then maybe later in the day, I'm trying to sound like Bud Herson playing Mahler 5. You know what I'm saying? Like just this variety of different stuff. And that assimilate is it starts to come out in your playing, you know. I'll be playing a ballad in jazz you know and maybe maynard's vibrato starts to come out you know and i'm like oh okay that happened you know or maybe i'm playing a solo in one ensemble or symphony and then it's just got a little bit of shininess around the edge like bud did you know and eventually in all of that i start to find all right so my sound is like this you know i tend to use this kind of vibrato i sound bright i sound dark i sound brilliant whatever it is and then 
from that point on, you know, in whatever musical context I'm in, all right, you know, I can back off a little bit. Sometimes as far as sound goes, you need to lean into a little bit more. Don't overblow, but you, you need, sometimes you need to lean into it a little bit more, all that different stuff. So I think it's important first and foremost to find what your sound is. And I, I try, I try to address that as just sound quality because to, def to find your sound as like a jazz player, you know, that's difficult. That takes a lot of time on stuff. I'm not getting into that, but just what your sound as a trumpet player is, you know, the quality that comes out of the end of your belt. So figure out what your home base is, you know, you, and once you get that dialed in, you'll find like you could put in a shallow mouthpiece or you can put in a huge mouthpiece and you can still tell that it's you, you know, it's just a little bit, uh, like I said, one part is highlighted and then maybe another part is dampened down a little bit either way, you know, so find your sound and then you can manipulate it a tiny bit for whatever context. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Uh, okay. Well, let's move on to our next segment. The next segment is uh, called Geared Up. It's brought to us by Venture Mouthpieces, a venture where technology, design, and craftsmanship intersect. Use the code TrumpetGurus21 to get 10% off your order. And uh, this is about gear. And um, I think let's uh, kind of keeping it in, in uh, relationship to uh, what we're talking about with sound. And I guess maybe more for, you know, let's think about it for, for that student who's, who's decided that the trumpet is the, the thing that they want to do. And they're making that step up, just like, you know, you've been making that step up into the next phase of their, their development, their career. Mm -hmm. uh, so what kind of advice would you give to a young up and coming student about uh, upgrading their gear game, what sort of things they should think about and, you know, how that affects their, their ability to do what they need to do on the, on the instrument? Sure. Um, so for, for the young player, you know, that's maybe upgrading from a student model horn or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm under the belief that a majority of people play a mouthpiece that's too big for them, especially at the beginner level, you know, because <clears throat> if you're starting trumpet in early middle school or elementary school, whatever the case may be, you know, you've got this tiny face, a 3C can feel like a tuba mouthpiece on your small chops, you know? So I, you know, maybe the mouthpiece is too big and stuff, but as far as upgrading the horn goes, um, especially now, I mean, prices are going up on a lot of different horns. But I, I believe that there, you know, you can find some pretty good gear at an affordable price point now. Like um, uh, one of the first horns that I recommend to everybody at my school or something that asks and they're looking to upgrade is the horn that Trent gave me in Miami in 2019. That's the Austin Custom Brass uh, 2RL. It's their entry-level professional model. And it's like under a thousand bucks. And it's, you know, it's still, it's built on the sturdy side, you know, compared to, you know, like it going towards a student horn. But I mean, it's gonna outperform those a lot. You know, the intonation is gonna be way better. It's not gonna have an adjustable third ring, you know. So at different price points, you know, there's different stuff to work work with. Um, I don't think, especially, you know, your first upgrade horn, 
you don't need to be spending like three, four thousand on a brand new strad, you know, you know, that those horns are cool. You know, if you find a good strad, awesome. But you don't need to spend three, four grand right out the gate, you know, going into your freshman year of high school or early on and you know, if you're doing it in middle school, whatever the case may be, you know. Um, but as far as like what to look for in the gear, with the people at my school, if I can, I bring my horn in to let them try it, the Austin Custom Brass 2RO, so that they can get a feel. And, you know, in there's some instances where it's not happening, you know, it's like, all right, so we look for something else. But if if I'm working with them and like getting them to try stuff and I'm like, they're not able to teach or anything, um, I try to describe as best as I can what it means when you find something that's easy to play. And um, ease of playing, there's a lot of different ways, you know, because like, for example, for everybody that's played like Bobby's Horn, you know, one of the Yamaha Z's, um, the, the resistance is real far up front in the lead pipe. You know, it, it feels close to your face. So if you're a player that is going to use that to your advantage, then that horn is going to be really easy for you to play. You're not going to feel restricted. It's just going to feel easy, you know. Um, bore size is tricky, you know. There's horns, but I don't think bore size matters the most because there's horns that are super large and they feel small. And the horn that I'm playing now, the my Warburton, the Carl Fisher horn, it's a medium bore, it's 453, but feels bigger than most of my friends' horns, you know what I'm saying? So it's not, but when you play it, when you get on the horn and you feel that you're not putting too much air and nothing is pushing against you. When you find the happy medium of you, it's like, oh, this is just, this trumpet is going to play how I want to play the trumpet. That's the direction that you want to go in, no matter what it is, you know. And specs, it, I think it's cool to learn about specs. Like, I'm, I'm a trumpet geek, so I like to learn about that stuff, you know, like the size of different bells, what bells are based off on mandrel and borsai, all this stuff. I like to know about that. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just when when you play it and it feels good, usually, not, not always, but a majority of the time, when it feels good, it sounds good because you can be at home, you know. And when it feels good, that creates one less barrier between you as the performer and the audience as the listener, which is what you want, you know. Because I don't like when I'm performing, I don't want to be thinking about my trumpet when I'm performing. I want to be thinking about what's coming out of the end of the bell. And, you know, try to ignore specs. Mine, this horn that I've just been, I've been playing recently, where I played a couple of times when I was in San Antonio, and then they came to Miami and I played it again. It was this new horn that um, Adam Rapp was making, this Lotus trumpet. And, you know, technically, like, the bore size is bigger than my horn slightly. He doesn't make large bore horns. They're 460, you know, regular. But it's, like, the easiest trumpet I've ever played in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just get on it, and it's like, oh, my goodness, the trumpet wants to play itself. So, for me, that's, like, a no-brainer move. That's the direction that I want to move it. And for different people, it's different things. You know, Arturo Sandoval... You know, he plays super big horns, and that's probably the easiest for him. 
because I'm sure he would not have a good time playing a Z. You know what I'm saying? On the opposite end, I'm sure Bobby would not be having a fun time playing one of Arturo's horns. You know what I'm saying? So it's subjective for everybody. But um, as far as, you know, sound versus feel, I don't necessarily think that they're polar opposites. Like, usually when it sounds good, it feels good. And usually when it feels good, it sounds good. You know? I don't really think... I don't think there's a whole lot of horns that fall in one or the other. Like if if a horn doesn't feel right, you're probably going to crack a bunch of notes, be out of tune, you know. And if a horn doesn't sound right, then you're not going to be comfortable and you're not going to feel good. So, yeah, that's I guess that's kind of what I would go with. Try stuff and ease, ease of playing. Efficiency is what I tell people to go for all the time. All right. Very good. All right, well, Nathaniel, we have one final segment to get through, and this is our uh, Robinson's Remedy Rapid Fire Round, brought to us by Robinson's Remedy Rapid Relief for your sore and tired chops. This is a series of questions that bounce all over the place, and I uh, just need your quickest response. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this thing. All right, Nathaniel, who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? My mom. All right. What's your favorite book? Favorite book? Hmm. I would say the child in me wants to say I used to read. I read a lot. I used to read all of the Percy Jackson books, the Rick Arden books. I know that's the childish answer. So the child in me wants to say that. But as far as books that have kind of really made me think and that I appreciate, um, probably as typical as it sounds, Forty Eight Laws of Power. All right. Uh, what is the worst movie you've seen? Mm, worst. There's this one movie on Netflix. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's about this lady that she's just kind of has a crazy life. Um, she married this old dude because he had a bunch of money that she ended up killing him and she almost got caught. It's with this actress, uh, Peyton List, and it sucks because I used to like watching her on Disney Channel. But that movie is probably the worst movie I've ever seen. It was pretty bad. It's so bad you can't even remember the name of it. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if uh, I'm, I'm going to have to adjust some of these uh, to make them a little right. more specific. Um, if you weren't going to become a trumpet player, a professional, full-time professional trumpet player, what would you want to be? Um, I think I would still do something in music maybe a uh, production, you know, because part of my, I used to want to be in the West Coast, you know, and getting, I think it would be cool being the guy in the booth recording the hay horns or something like that, you know, so probably, probably something like that. All right. Uh, what is your favorite beverage? Hmm. Nothing beats an ice cold glass of water. Oh, uh, okay. Besides <laughs> a milkshake, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you uh, could have a dinner party mm -hmm. and invite any three living people besides family and friends. Uh, any three living people, who would you want to have there? Wynton Marsalis, um, Wayne Bergeron, hmm. Mm. Maybe Wim Hof. That's a weird combination, but uh, I, I always like 
the, the ice the, the ice man and where yeah. that, that would be. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird combo, but I I'd probably have them three. Uh, okay, well, you've got three additional chairs at your table, and they could be filled by any three people from history. So any three people that are no longer with us. Most definitely Clark Terry. If I know I didn't say this in the interview earlier, but those that are close to me know Clark Terry is my favorite musician of all time, regardless of trumpet, of anything. It's Clark Terry's top of line. So Clark, for sure. Hmm, let me see. From history, Louis Armstrong. Hmm. One more, let's see. Probably um, either James Baldwin or Malcolm X. Okay. All right, again, nice, nice little mix there. Yeah. All right, lacquer, plated, or raw? I tend not to go for lacquer, so I'll bump lacquer off the list first. I guess I'll go plated, so my hands don't get stinky. All right. Uh, what is your greatest fear? I would say either not being able to express myself in any capacity, you know, like if all I couldn't speak, I couldn't play anything like that. And I guess that's kind of tied into what the alternative would be is like being completely alone, you know, nobody to talk to, nobody that understands. And I think that kind of tied because like if I can't communicate, then nobody can know what I'm feeling. So yeah, probably I probably condense it to fear of being alone, like just completely alone. Okay. All right. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be? Mm. Probably teleportation. I could be, you no matter where the gig is, you know, you call me and I'm there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you could actually do multiple gigs because you just yeah. you get your breaks on the same you know, schedule. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd be all over the place, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most overrated? Range. Right. Well, let me, let me specify real quick um, how difficult range can be. Range does not, you know, it doesn't come natural for most people. But it's not some, I don't believe that it's something that you have to obsess about or should obsess about, you know, for the rest of your life and just beat yourself up because you can't play high. All right. Uh, and what aspect do you feel is the most underrated? Hmm. Maybe, um, I don't know if there's a word for this, but the, one thing that I think is underrated, you know, when I listen to two Trump, well, three trumpet players in particular, Nicholas Payton, Freddie Hubbard, and Clark Terry. And, you know, they're pretty different. But what I hear in their playing is a sense of like being able to dance around the trumpet, you know, and not necessarily just from high to low, but just like whatever they're playing, like they, it, the trumpet feels like a toy in their hands. So if there was a word for that, 
I would say that's what's underrated because I wish I could play the trumpet like that, you know, that everything just sounds like it's right, right in front of me, you know? Yeah. I know what you're talking about, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Um, this is, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, you can go back in time and give your younger self <laughs> one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Um, I think I would say maybe because I'm still super young, you know, so I still have my time, but I don't think it ever hurts if I would have stopped being a trumpet jock even earlier. You know, I don't think I am now, but, you know, I was at some point. I had a little bit of natural range, you know, so I used to kind of walk around a little bit with my chest high, you know, because I talked to Wayne about this. I have a similar story with Wayne, you know, like I could play a double high C when I was like 12, you know, like in my first year of picking up the horn. It sounded bad, you know. Like it was a very bad sounding double C, but I could play it, you know. So for a little while, I was kind of ignorant in that sense. And if I was playing, if I was playing with my friends, you know, and we're doing like a jam session, it didn't matter what the tune was or what chord I was playing, but I would find a way to play a double C on it, you know. So maybe I would have told myself to stop worrying so much about the trumpet and start worrying about the music even sooner than. And I, I think that's like, especially for trumpet players, that's kind of a journey that never ends. You know, there's always a little bit there, you know, but maybe just a reiteration of that earlier on. All right, cool. Uh, and while you're back there, you can give your younger self one piece of advice about life. About life. Oh, that's a that's a pretty good one. Um, I would say. That the two. I would say three biggest things, um, I guess I could nest it up to two, is, um, you know, be respectful always of whatever, whoever you're hanging out with. Um, and another thing, this is kind of, in my opinion, a big lesson or big thing that a lot of people think about. You know, we hear very often treat people how you want to be treated, but I disagree with that statement. I believe in treat people the way they want to be treated. You know, because if you think about it, it's pretty selfish to treat everybody in the world the way that you hope everybody will, you know, treat you, you know. And, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that that's, this applies, you know, love languages. It's essentially, you could think about it like that. Like, why are you going to show everybody else your love language when everybody is some different kind, you know? So when talking with people or hanging out with people, treat them with the respect and talk to them the way that they wish to be respected and the way that they wish to be talked to, not just how I'm feeling that given day. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, final question for you, Nathaniel. Oof. What do you want your legacy to be? Mm. That's deep. Kind of going along the lines of, you know, one of the reasons why Clark Terry means so much to me is that no matter what Clark was playing, and, you know, Clark portrayed a lot of emotions in his playing, grief, anger, sadness, happiness, joy. But no matter what I'm listening to, 
there's a smile on my face in any given context um, because it just brings me a sense of fulfillment, a sense of joy, no matter literally every single recording, there is a part, Terry. I love it. Um, and I, I hope to leave that behind. Um, and I also hope to, like I said, inspire on the same level that I've been inspired by Clark, Winton, Maynard, Wayne, Dan, you know, all of these guys, they mean so much to me and they open my eyes. And I hope that one day a, Trump, a young trumpet player, not even just trumpet players, but just people can listen to my music and feel inspired. Well, I tell you, you have already inspired me. So, uh, you know, everything that, that I have heard about you, uh, is actually pales in comparison to actually talking to you. You are a man of, of, uh, immense depth at such a young age, uh, that not only comes out in your music, but definitely in our conversation. Um, you, you are an old soul. So, uh, I, I look forward to, uh, to actually getting to do a, a physical hang with you at some point so we could sure. sit down over a glass of ice water and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and talk some more about music and life and yeah. you know, just just do that that crazy stuff that, that we trumpet players like to do you know yeah yeah fun. yeah but uh i wish you nothing but the best of uh success in your life and your choices and i'm i'm actually hope well yeah, I, I plan on doing this podcast for a little while, but so I, I hope to check in with you uh, uh, once you you get your college plans all straightened out, and, and maybe, sure. maybe have a, we'll have like an annual Nathaniel check in, you know, <laughs> fill us in on, on on your life's progress and you yeah, know, yeah, stuff like that. So that'd be cool. All right, man. All right, so thanks a lot. I really, really do appreciate, it. and thank you for joining us for this episode of the Hang. And as always, I hope that you uh, like, subscribe, share. Uh, make sure you follow us uh, on all of the social media platforms and make sure you're following Nathaniel, man. Guy's got some great stuff going on. You want to definitely stay on top of that. So until the next time, folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see the hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at the Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signal. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of the Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Guru's Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group. Mm -hmm.